Well, dear church family, this Lord's Day, our concentration once again will be on those precious words of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 28:16, where the word of God says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious corner stone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste, shall not make haste from this great foundational stone. And of course, we know that Zion here is not only referring to that place on earth where God's people gather and dwell with the Lord. We think in particularly of that holy city of David, Jerusalem and Judah, where God's people gathered. Psalm 78, 68 comes to mind. The Lord chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. But it is also, of course, referring to that heavenly Jerusalem where God's people gather to worship like we are here doing here today in spirit and in truth. It is but a foretaste of heaven, isn't it? When we gather together and the Lord is in the midst of us, it is but just a foretaste of heaven when it is truly worship we truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Psalm 52 says out of Zion the perfection of beauty God have shined. Why is Zion? Well because the Lord is in the midst of her. And what makes Zion so beautiful? Well the Lord God is in the midst of her. That makes her beautiful. The Lord and his gospel went sincerely the Lord sincerely worshipped and his gospel sincerely preached, a course, reflect out and through his people, doesn't he? Now, friends, we see in today's passage in Isaiah 28 something which has always plagued the church of God throughout all ages. Something which has hidden, really, at times, her true beauty and her shine. And that is the very very subtle sin of complacency, of complacency, spiritual complacency. And we, every true believer will know of complacency in their lives, spiritual complacency. In Isaiah 28, we see Ephraim and the northern kingdom here being warned of severe complacency. Of course, it was true of Uh, Judah as well, but in particular, Ephraim in the northern kingdom was uh, guilty of severe complacency. In particular, they were charged with excessive living. The The prophet points out that they were given to much wine and uh, drunkenness. And Ephraim in particular, this had become a national problem, didn't it? In Ephraim, it became a national pan- pandemic in, in Ephraim. Verse 1 says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. Ephraim, of course, was renowned, was it not, for its fruitfulness, more than any other tribe. Ephraim prided itself, didn't it, on the fat of the hills of Samaria. The, the beauty of that land, the, the, the abundance, the plenty of that land, it prided itself on its 
glorious vineyards and its cornfields. It was beautiful. The name Ephraim actually means, as we know from the life of Joseph, fruitfulness. And so it was a a beautiful land, more than any other tribe. And it prided itself on this, this great and glorious land that God had given it to them. The problem was that in their fruitfulness, that in their abundance, that in their plentifulness, they began to slowly, over time, become complacent. They, they, they began slowly, over time, to forget about their duty of love to the Lord their God that had given them everything, that helped them overcome all their enemies, that gave them that land, that had promised them exceedingly wonderful promises. Over the years, a spiritual complacency kicked in. This complacency, of course, was not only amongst the known irreligious of Ephraim, but of course it was also amongst many who professed to be religious as well. We see here, we're told in verse 7, that the priest and the prophet were given to wine and strong drink, weren't we? Which made the, uh, the prophets to err in vision, in prophecy. Their, their prophecies were... They were erring in their visions and their prophecies. They distorted and corrupted judgment, the word of God. Only a residue, a remnant of God's people, mainly in Judah, had not succumbed to the fullness of this iniquity that God was sending a strong one, the Assyrians, to come, as it were, to judge them. Um, First, of course, we know, it's coming in. Um, at Ephraim to judge them the iniquity as it were of Ephraim the fullness of the excess the excess here was being judged and friends lest we point the finger at them is it not telling of modern day Britain today where we are as a nation in modern day Britain today and more so today and I just want to say this Studying this particular passage was, was quite very convicting for me um, because we all have, although I don't drink, we, we all have excesses in our life, dear friends. We all have complacencies uh, in our lives. So we, we, must, we must be very careful that the cultural complacencies, the excesses of this life, don't start to block out our spiritual vision, the, re- the real reason why we've been converted or the re- real reason why we are here. And so, friends, like I said, unless we point the finger, is this not very telling of modern-day Britain? Our drink and binge and pub uh, culture, as it were, is renowned around the world, isn't it? Anywhere you go around the world, they will know straight away that we are renowned in the UK, Irish or or Britain, for our our drink-binge culture. They, They make movies out of it. Uh, out of it. It, it. it is a blight upon this land. There is even, I would say, an element of national pride behind the drink, isn't there? And in you, I hear it all the time. There's this almost national pride behind it and not shame. And over the drink, that causes Britain's high streets, literally every high street in this land pretty much, 
come seven, eight o'clock in the evening, but go, literally become no-go zones. Fights, fights. Now, we went uh, a few months ago into Barnstable Town Centre. It was like a hell zone at night. Uh, gangs of single men prowling around, stag dudes, it, the, 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 the wickedness. And, and literally up and down this land, our towns are literally at night time, are turning into hell zones. You, you know, married women, married men, going out in their gangs, as it were, on the hunt, on the, prow- on the prowls, youth, fights, boozy dinner parties. It's a disgrace. And yet this is, this is our pride. This, there's an element of pride in this. In this. Uh, we also see boozy holidays, you think of, of, of abroad, you sometimes hear on the, on the news, you, you know, in Spain or, or Greece, you know, this land is blighted because of holiday makers and they go over just to let loose, as it were. And it is a blight. And these things, friends, are being completely normalized. And Christians, it's sad to say, by and large, are being desensitized to these things. That's the terrible thing about all this. You know, you could expect this from worldlings, but Christians are being completely desensitized to this. And yet, why are not God's ministers thundering, lifting up their voices and thundering from the pulpits over this our national pride, amongst the many other excesses of our culture? We give ourselves a kind of a spiritual pat on the back, don't we? Because we, we mention the sin of homosexuality or transgenderism, and rightfully so. But when it comes to all the other excesses in this life, that has, that has really, the, the many excesses that has made, made us become so complacent, gluttony is a sin, luxurious living, love of money, love of ease, vain and time-consuming entertainment, excessive social media, TV games, obsessing about one's body and beauty and sports, costly and immodest fashions and adornments, all these excesses. No one mentions them anymore. You'll be hard-pressed to go to any church and it's not even mentioned anymore. Well, we say, well, so the, the, the transgenderism and homosexuality, of course, yes, but what about all these other excesses? that have taken us away why do seemingly these things get a pass and get swept under the carpet as it were in most churches today i'll tell you why because of spiritual complacency that's why we christians in the west have become completely complacent dear friends by and large most christians now in the uk and in the west have been completely nominal it is a sad day, friends. The culture continues to go downhill, deeper into depravity. And what was once considered, even amongst Christians, to be shameful, even a number of years ago, has now been completely accepted and normalized. We have been completely desensitized in our culture. And by and large, most Christians have just gone with the culture. Cultural pragmatism has just taken over, and not the word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's a matter of unbelief, really, isn't it? 
These things were true of Israel and these things are true of us in the UK as well. Deuteronomy 32, 15 and 16 comes to mind. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with their abominations provoked they him to anger. You see, when we give ourselves to the excess of the good things that God gives us, but we give ourselves to these things, they just take us away from the Lord, don't they? They take us away from truly holding to his words. When the church no longer holds to Christ and his words and walk therein, it has lost its light, its savour. It's no longer a city on a hill, is it? It's lost its distinctiveness. It's lost its peculiarity, dear friends. And God will judge that. Just hear a little of the word, there a little of the word, but never truly committing wholeheartedly to the word, never truly fully believing, never fully framing one's life around what they hear and what they read, never truly taking it to heart, never committing. Dear friends, how sad. This is the condition of Great Britain, Christianity here in the West, by and large. The prophet says in verse 15, and making, they were making lies their refuge under falsehood. Under falsehood. In other words, they, they were making an outward profession of godliness. But really, the excesses of this life are still, by and large, their refuge and their foundations. They are trusting more in these things than in the Lord and in his words. And the New Testament confirms this in 1 Peter 4, 3, 3, 4 through 4. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, success of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. That is talking about us prior to conversion. And now when we are converted, verse 4, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. When we're changed, you see, dear friends, we, there's, a close, there's a close check upon these things. There's a light hand upon these things, isn't there? And like I said, dear friends, in, when I was studying this, I was almost brought to tears, really, because complacency can affect us all. Spiritual complacency can affect us all, dear friends. True believers ought to stand out, really, in this dark culture as sore thumbs. Can they not? They, they, because they do not run to the same excess of living. Their treasure is in heaven. They build up treasure in heaven. They're living now for different purposes, different reasons. And it ought to show. It ought to show in, in, in how they live their life every day. What they're framing their life around. And of course, all true believers, like I said, have besetting sins, excesses in their lives. But they are very mindful of them. They are mindful of these things. And increasingly they seek by God's grace to minimize them that they may be used more so for Christ's kingdom. I want to be used to build up treasure in heaven for Christ's kingdom. I don't want my, I don't want 
my faculties to be taken away by the things of this world. And that's a, perhaps what everyone were doing. They're, they're saying, well, we are, we are healthy. All this wine's helping our digestion and all these things. But what it was doing, it was clouding their spiritual vision. It was clouding, it was, it was making them spiritually drowsy, as it were. And friends, like I said, with this said, that's why it's so important for us to evaluate Evaluate what foundation we are laying our lives and our souls upon. It's good for us to have a spiritual checkup every now and then and evaluate what am I truly laying my, my life upon, my hopes upon, my faith upon. What am I building my hopes and my lives upon? And so today's text in verse 16 is not only needful for those who already are living outside of Christ. Just living in trespasses and sins, do not have a mind for Christ, irreligious, profane. But this is also a message for us Christians who have slowly and very subtly been deceived into spiritual complacency. We all need to hear this, don't we? Verse 16 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone. A precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Of course, the church of God here is compared to a house, isn't it? It's compared to a house or a building where only Jesus Christ is the foundation of that house, of that building, that spiritual household of faith. And consider the ways in which we can know if we truly have Christ in our hearts to be our one and only sure foundation. Firstly, any foundation must have a grand designer, a grand mind, a master builder, a designer behind it. <coughs> Hebrews 3, 4 says, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. You see, God was in God's heart and it was in God's mind to bring forth his word. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He has laid down his holy son's life to be our foundation. He, he sought, have we sought his design for our lives, dear friends? Not, what, not our kingdom come, but his kingdom come. Have we sought him first in everything in our lives? Of course, a foundation is the first part of any building before a superstructure is raised up upon it. And similarly, if, if all our Christian service and church attendance and devotion is not done with a heart towards our Saviour, towards the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all done in vain, isn't it? If it's not done out of our pure heart of love to the Lord, it's not done for the right reasons, is it? Dear friends, everything that is raised up in our Christian life, it will just come tumbling down in the end. And the Lord will say to us, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you because you're just doing it for men. You're just doing it as a backup. You're just doing it for the wrong reasons. Are we doing it because we truly have believed in Christ as our foundation? We've abandoned all in this world and we followed him. And he is our foundation and he has our hearts. And we're building our lives solely upon him. Of course, it must be said also that 
any grand house must have a very deep foundation. The roots must go deep, must they not, into Christ. This cannot be, friends, this cannot be just a bare profession. And that's what we're seeing by and large in the UK now. Similarly, true Christianity must be more than just a bare profession or just a confessional standard. It must go deep to the heart, as it were. David said in Psalm 51.6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. If you read that psalm very carefully, that confessional psalm, David, you see David pouring his heart out before the Lord. Create in me, O God, a new heart. You see this person who is intimately acquainted with the Lord. He has a real relationship with God. God has he, tried the streams and the broken systems of the world and they failed him. And he's not building his foundation upon himself or anything else. He was the song of the drunkards, wasn't he? He's building his life upon Christ. And you see this deeply in his heart. He's, he, the Lord means everything to him. He knows of the power of, of Christ, Christ's salvation. Do we know of the power of the new birth? Changing our hearts, conforming us to the word of God. To live for him. To live for his will. Are we basing all our decisions on his will? How can I know the will of God for my life? Well, we have the revealed word of God. Do we believe in the revealed word of God? Yes, we have God's secret will. Sometimes we don't know, like what happened to Job, things, some things are a mystery, but we can know God's will for our life if we believe in the word of God. We can know his will for our life. And friends, we must give ourselves to these things. A foundation of a house must be laid upon suitable material. It must be solid. It cannot be flimsy. Something A a true foundation must be safe, else it will not pass the test of time. There's there's something called a testimony of time for a believer, isn't there? And there's a parable, there's a parable, isn't there, of the seed, of the sower. Testimony of time. That the storms of life will come. The strong one, the the, uh, Assyrians, will come, as it were. And are we ready, as it were? Will we be found ready? Will our lives be laid? Will we be building our lives upon Christ, upon his salvation? And so, friends, we must, our lives must be laid upon suitable material, something which is safe, something which is secure. And the same is true spiritually speaking. Those who build their hopes and their lives upon the excesses of this life, to the neglect of the world to come, to come and Christ and eternity, dear friends, they are literally building their lives upon a refuge of lies. It's just an illusion, isn't it? It's sinking sand. And this was me for many years. I was just building my life, my life upon the sinking sands of this world, the excesses of this world. Just doing, following the crowd. And dear friends, we, 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 that will always be a sinking sand. Ephraim, of course, knew of this, didn't he, when the fat and the pride of the vineyards of Samaria and the bountiful cornfields were literally flattened and 
destroyed by the storm of the Assyrian army, which God had prepared beforehand, his strong one. And so all this national pride, as it were, just went out the window. Everything they gave their hearts to. And so wherefore, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Our lives, yea, our very souls, must be built upon a foundational stone that has, has been meticulously tried. That has been meticulously tried. A builder must know the very nature and temper of the stones that he lays as a foundation, lest they prove to be brittle, shell-like stones. And Jesus Christ, dear friends, is our tried stone, isn't he? He is that solid rock, dear friends, that was chosen before the worlds began, as it were, by his Father, chosen before the worlds of God. And see here the singularity, a stone. It's talking about Christ, isn't it? He was chosen before the worlds began to be that rock which we could build our lives upon, that great foundation for our salvation, for our lives. Satan, of course, tempted him and tried him in the wilderness for 40 days. He was tried, wasn't he? But, dear friends, the Lord overcame all these things. We, we wouldn't have overcome that. We can't build our lives upon ourselves, upon our own obedience, upon a, a, an outward reformation. We would fail, dear friends. Of course, the host of hell was raised up against Christ, wasn't it? Wicked men and rulers set themselves against him, against God's anointed. And yet he rose above them all, didn't he? He is a tried stone. God the Father made his holy son to go through the fiery furnace of affliction and the hammer of his wrath, didn't he? He's a tried stone, dear friends. He was punished for our sins, for our for our iniquities. God's justice had to be satisfied and God's justice was satisfied upon Christ. He's a tried stone, a tried rock. Nothing could break this foundation, dear friends, because it's divine. And we need a divine foundation in our lives. We cannot build our hopes and lives upon the creature and not the creator. We must believe that, that, that God is supernatural that he could supernaturally work in us, hear our cries, speak to us, uh, preserve us, bless us. Never was there a foundational stone like Christ, a tried stone like him. He was in all points tempted as we are, wasn't he? But yet without sin, yet without sin, dear friends. He is the tried stone that we can build our life and our very souls upon. Every house needs, of course, a foundation, doesn't it, friends? And it, it is the most needful thing for any house to have a foundation, isn't it? And you need a foundation and I need a foundation, dear friends, for our never-dying soul. Don't build your life and your soul upon the rotten and false foundations of this world. Friends, they will be overthrown in the end. Worldly honours, pleasures, excesses of this life will just be washed away. In the end, you cannot take them with you. And you notice in, the par- in that uh, parable which the Lord Jesus speaks of in terms of Lazarus and rich man. Notice the rich man in hell. He wanted to gratify his tongue with water. 
Send Lazarus to, so I can dip my tongue with water. I just, I just want to, and, and he couldn't do that. You know, hell is going to be a place where all the excesses of this life are going to, just going to be taken away. And so the, the adulterer, the, the drunkard, that they will want to drink still. They'll have that desire to f- satisfy their gratification, their sin. They'll have that anxiety, but they'll never be able to do it. Imagine that. That's what hell's going to be like. Constant regret. They're still living with all this wickedness, but they'll never, ever be able to satisfy that. No good thing in hell, dear friends. A million years will go by, and it will still be that condition, and it's still got an eternity to come. Constant regret away from the Lord. Because they've neglected this foundation that, that God in his love has provided his own son. A tried, a precious stone for us. And friends, you may, must lay your life and soul upon Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're not yet his, you must do so today. He is the only saviour of sinners, friends. According to 1 Peter 2, those who build their lives upon Christ are as lively stones that make up a spiritual house, aren't we? We're like gems and jewels. We're precious in God's sight because we're built upon him who is precious, upon the pearl of great price, as it were. We're built upon the Lord, aren't we? We are are built upon that cornerstone of our faith, which any builder, back in those days, if they wanted to build something secure, they would have built their, their house, they would have dug very deep, they would have taken the pains to dig very deep, and they would have built their house and framed their house solely upon the cornerstone. And everything would have been framed and designed around that cornerstone. Are we doing that with our lives, dear friends? Are we framing our lives around Christ and his words? Is he precious to us? Is he most precious to us? Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 says that true believers in Christ are as a, build, a building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Friends, Jesus Christ, the Christian's only foundation, is the the strongest part of the household of faith. He daily supports and bears us up, doesn't he? Millions of people around the world, his church, who depend upon him for grace, for righteousness, for justification, for pardon of sin, for safety, for direction, for preservation, for eternal life. He, he who bore, as it were, everything upon him. We can go to him daily, dear friends, and know of all these things. This world's foundations, dear friends, are laid with the, with the many deceiving stones which are cemented together, aren't they? Christ, friends, is one whole entire rock, isn't he? A stone. He's not many stones. He's just one solid, strong rock. And if you're laid upon him and his salvation, friends, you will remain firm to the end. And no matter what earthquake comes, dear friends, 
No matter what earthquake hits your life or storm hits your life, if you're on, on Christ, you may get sick. Believers get sick like unbelievers. Things happen to us. All sorts of dark things happen to us. Dark providences happen to us. Earthquakes happen in our lives. Storms happen in our lives. But if you're upon the rock, upon Christ, you have got a sure and a lasting and a firm salvation for your soul and for your your eternal destination, friends. You're secure. You see, worldly foundations are laid with stones of very little value, aren't they? Very little value indeed are the, the foundation, the foundational stones of this world. Christ, the spiritual foundation, friends, is a precious stone of unimaginable value, of unestimable price. Dear friends, and once you have Christ as your foundation, you stop looking for other foundations in your life, don't you? But you see, the devil, dear friends, is very subtle, isn't he? In the West in particular, he wants us, he slowly comes in very, with complacencies, these excesses which I've spoken about. And so this is just a reminder for us here today to renew that altar to the Lord once again. To, to, to have, be mindful of these, we all have them, but just to be mindful of the excesses of our culture. Not to go along with the culture Oh, friends, make all diligence to ensure that you are not building your life partly upon Christ and mostly upon the sinking sands of this world. That is the story of modern-day Britain's Christianity. Sad to say, but it's true, isn't it? Every man's work, says 1 Corinthians 3, shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. It's going to be, we're going to be found out on that day, aren't we? Whether we are true jewels or not, as it were. And, uh, the, the tried stone here is almost talking about a touchstone. A touchstone, I don't know if you know in the olden days, a touchstone was, the traders used to use a touchstone to, to, to make sure that the gold or silver was truly gold or silver. And they would rub it against a, a touchstone, a dark stone, and they would rub it against this stone and they would reveal, they'd have their, their own piece of silver or gold, these traders, and they'd rub it against it and it would show forth the same colour as what it is, what, what they were trading with. or what. And so in other words, if someone was trying to deceive them, just try to deceive them with fool's gold or, or impure gold or silver, it would, sh- it would show a different colour on the touchstone. And dear friends, this is true spiritually speaking, whether we are truly on the tried stone, uh, as it were, on, the, on, the, on Christ. Is Jesus Christ your only foundation or not? His righteousness, not yours. His blood, not yours. Upon the day of visitation have all other foundations become worthless in your estimation in your hearts have all other foundations and do they start just going away do you count them but dung as it were that you may win christ or do you dare not you dare not build upon your life upon these things anymore the excesses of this world a wise build in those days would have framed his whole house like i said around the cornerstone Is this true of you and I, dear friends? 
Are we framing our whole life around Christ and his word? And he speaks to us ever so gently. We do not, we do not get what we deserve. Line upon line, precept upon precept. But sometimes we just don't believe, do we? we don't, we're not listening. And dear friends, I, I hope and, and trust that we all are seeking to build our lives upon Christ. If it is, remember, dear believer, that you, like David, may be the song of the drunkards, as it were. We know this quite often now when we go out and evangelise. There are often drunkards that pick on us, want to have fights with us, mock us when evangelising. And you too may be the, the song of the drunkards. And though you may be looked upon as the offscaring of this world as a believer, because you do not run to the same excess, friends, you are as a precious jewel. And Christ is coming back to collect those precious jewels one day, is he not? And so, friends, let us be those who make sure that we're building our lives upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only foundation for us. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.